Welcome to the latest edition of our Tax Credits and Incentives Advisory Podcast, entitled Hot Topics and Cost Segregation. My name is Marty Cameron. I'm the head of our National Tax Credits and Incentives Advisory Group here at Cherry Beckett Advisory. Today, we will cover some things uh, to consider as you make capital investments in buildings, structures, and energy-efficient property. Um, specifically, we're going to talk about cost segregation in 179D. Cost segregation is a commonly used tool um, that allows taxpayers um, who've constructed, purchased, expanded, or remodeled any kind of real estate to increase cash flow by accelerating depreciation deductions and deferring federal and state income taxes. Uh, this really is a follow-up to a client panel we recently led, uh, which is available on our website. Uh, and with me today is Ron Wainwright, my partner in our Tax Credits and Incentives Advisory Group here at Jerry Beckert, and also Sean O'Leary, the senior manager in our group. Uh, Ron, how are you and where are you today? Uh, Marty, I am in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, doing very well, and uh, we appreciate everyone listening, following up on our TCIA Summit. Sean, uh, where are you today, and how's it going? Uh, I'm doing great, Marty. Thank you. I'm in uh, my uh, home of Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, things are going great. It's a little hot and humid outside, but uh, we're, we're doing great here. Very good. Okay, so why don't we get into it? Um, Ron? To level set, you know, what is cost segregation and why should taxpayers consider the incentive? Uh, so, Marty, excellent question. Uh, just as a reminder, um, cost segregation is a process, an engineering process specifically, where we look at a commercial or multi-residential or residential building and we separate that building cost uh, between real property and what is deferred or referred to as personal property. Uh, why do we do that? Uh, we do that because the tax law says that you will depreciate uh, over straight line, either 39 years or 27 and a half years if we're dealing with a, a multi-residential uh, property. And so what cost segregation is about is dividing, componentizing that building, that structure between real property and personal property. Uh, we want to make sure that we are utilizing the shorter life assets uh, that can be depreciated much faster and therefore accelerate the depreciation expense into earlier years, which ultimately drives that taxable income and saves the taxpayer cash, which in turn they can reinvest. Um, and so very important because as we move and divide 1250 and 1245 property as referred to, 1245 being the personal property piece, we're now using makers as opposed to straight line, and we are using class lives that are much shorter. Uh, as we will have a question later, then we get into some considerations for bonus depreciation. Um, clearly, taxpayers, as a reminder, should consider this opportunity from an incentive is anytime they invest in real property, uh, again, uh, whether that's a commercial building, whether that is a multi-residential or residential, as well as when they're expanding any of those type of structures. Um, so you drive that depreciation in the early years, um, taming that tax benefit, accelerating it over 39 or 27 and a half years. So again, upfront cash savings and incentive that can be invested immediately into other income producing opportunities or properties, uh, which ultimately will grow over time. So there ultimately is the not just a timing element to the planning opportunity, but really a permanent uh, difference 
uh, as we are utilizing the accelerated appreciation. Sean, uh, Ron just made a reference to uh, bonus depreciation. Can you go through the rules around bonus depreciation, what it is and how it helps taxpayers with the cost tech study? Sure, uh, so, so bonus depreciation is a method of depreciation that allows a taxpayer to expense the cost of the property in, in the year that it was placed in service instead of recovering the cost through traditional cost recovery depreciation methods, which calculate a yearly deduction over many years. Uh, allowing a taxpayer to expense the cost of a fixed asset is an important incentive, and as Ron mentioned, it accelerates the tax appreciation into the current years and reduces the upfront cost of acquiring the property. Bonus depreciation is an important part of cost segregation. Um, it supercharges the tax benefits uh, of, of uh, benefit, uh, excuse me, of segregating a building's assets into real and personal property components. From a tax law perspective, bonus depreciation you know, has really had a long history. Congress first introduced bonus depreciation way back in 2001 as a way to incentivize the business community to acquire personal property, which is you know, uh, equipment, vehicles, computers, that sort of thing. And since then, bonus depreciation has come and gone from the tax code numerous times, and the rate of bonus depreciation has fluctuated from the low of 30% to the high of 100% of the amount of an asset that can be immediately expensed. Currently, and since 2018, as codified by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the bonus depreciation rate is set at 100% and will remain there through the end of this year. As of now, in 2023, the, the rate then reduces to 80% and gradually scales down to 20% for the 2026 tax year. Uh, historically, bonus depreciation uh, only applied to personal property, which simply stated are assets like machinery, equipment, furniture, and fixtures, and certain land improvements like parking lots or sidewalks. Excluded from this definition is real property or the structural part of a building like you know, the concrete and steel. This has changed a bit in recent years with a new class of property called qualified improvement property, which is now a carve out of the real part real property of a building and is now eligible for bonus depreciation, but Ron's going to talk about that uh, a little bit later. Uh, another big change that, in, that has impacted bonus depreciation from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was for the first time allowing bonus depreciation to be applied to use property, which means that a taxpayer could now purchase an older building and claim bonus depreciation on the personal property portions were stated differently expense those portions of, of the building in the year required. This greatly expanded the utilization of bonus appreciation for real estate investors in cost segregation studies and amped up the immediate the immediate, immediate tax benefits as well. Uh, so now again, through the end of this year, the bonus depreciation provisions of the tax code allow 100% of uh, the cost of the property expensed on nearly every physical aspect asset a taxpayer acquires within a building except the structural portions of a building originally acquired or improved. You know, this is really a powerful tax incentive that is widely utilized in cost segregation studies and again helps taxpayers reduce their upfront tax liability. So Ron, um, Sean mentioned the concept of qualified improvement property. Do you want to go through that concept for our listeners? Sure, Marty. Um, 
And as you uh, know, there's often a lot of confusion out there as to, to what is, in fact, qualified improvement property. So um, in the prior question, I answered what is cost seg, where we're actually segregating the building between personal property being 1245 and real property being Section 1250. So when you think about qualified improvement property, um, by definition, it's an improvement to Section 1250 property that the taxpayer is made to the interior portion uh, of a building that uh, basically has been placed in service after the date of the building being placed in service or in our cost segregation, we actually identify areas of the building uh, prior to being placed in service. So when you think about qualified improvement property, what's often misunderstood is, well, when we talk about, you know, improvements in 1250 and interior portions, what are we really talking about? And so some examples for you all around qualified improvement property is interior doors, interior air conditioning and HVAC systems, uh, water heaters, security upgrades, uh, fire protection systems, interior electrical, um, water lines, plumbing, uh, painting, carpeting, shelving, et cetera. So you could begin to see a significant opportunity in regards to segregating that additional 1250 property. Because 1250 property is the property we're depreciating um, at the end of a cost segregation study, uh, straight line over 39 or, or 27 and a half years. Um, one other area of confusion is that Qualified improvement property is technically a class life of 15 years, which uh, there was a technical error in the Tax Reform Act of 2017 that ultimately was corrected, which left 1250 and qualified improvement property into that 39-year life. So there's a number of provisions out there which is often overlooked and confused where you can go back and identify that qualified improvement property and because it falls into that 15 year correction of the statute you get to basically uh, use makers but then again to sean's uh, comments on bonus depreciation uh, you can immediately expense the qualified improvement property so think about all those interior doors and that security upgrade or those interior water heaters or interior electrical so when we think about qualified improvement property this is another area uh, that we do qualified improvement property analysis um, on a building or structure that may have been placed in service two or three years ago but a significant opportunity to accelerate immediately again depreciation creating not only a time value of money savings but ultimately over that 39 27 and a half year life if you net present back back you would ultimately have a permanent tax savings for you in qualified improvement property okay thanks so much ron that's excellent um i know from a recent development perspective one of the most important things that's happened recently is uh, the update to the audit technique guidelines for both cost segregation and 179B. And I'm wondering if uh, both of you could comment on, on how important that is and how that's going to affect uh, our practice and, and how it's going to affect uh, the ability to take cost segregation 179D for our clients. Sean, why don't you take cost seg and I'll, I'll speak uh, or add on uh, some comments, but I'll also speak to 179 cap D. Uh, both of these, by the way, were released in the last several months, uh, 179 cap D on May 26th, um, and then the, uh, the audit technique guideline for cost seg in, in June. 
Sure, thanks, Ron. So, uh, so as you mentioned, just last month, uh, the IRS did release an updated version of its audit technique guideline as it pertains uh, to cost edge studies. Uh, much of this guidance was really unchanged from the prior version of the ATG uh, that was issued, you know, back in 2016. Uh, but the the updated guide, guideline does highlight many of the significant tax law changes that have occurred uh, since 2016 in relation to depreciation in general. Specifically, as we've talked about a little bit, the uh, the PATH Act of 2015, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, and the CARES Act of 2020. Uh, you know, we, as I mentioned, several of these law changes have already been mentioned, but probably on a high level worth mentioning again. So the uh, the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act changed the bonus depreciation rate to 100% for years, tax years 2018 through 2022, and then the rate goes back down to 80% uh, uh, next year in 2023, and then further declines in, in years beyond that. Uh, so going to 100% bonus depreciation again is a huge change that greatly incentivizes uh, you know taxpayers to make investments uh, in both real and personal property. And the other the other significant change from the the TCGA was for uh, for the first time allowing bonus depreciation uh, to be claimed on used property. And as Ron mentioned, the other significant tax law change as of late came from the uh, the CARES Act in 2020, which again was a technical correction of qualified improvement property into a 15-year asset class, which then qualified again for bonus depreciation. Um, so lots of uh, tax law changes were highlighted in the in the ATG, but they also did uh, point out a number a number of other important uh, points for taxpayers utilizing cost segregation services. Uh, for their real property investments uh, uh, to consider. Um, the IRS points out that there are numerous ways to conduct a cost, seg cost segregation study, but emphasizes that the quote, detailed engineering approach is the most accurate and frankly is the one that we use for our projects at Cherry Becker. Other approaches can be used, but may be scrutinized more heavily upon examination. Uh, many cost seg practitioners rely on a quote rule of thumb study and simply apply average results of prior studies to a new property without doing a site visit or closely examining the actual cost of a building. Uh, the IRS uh, is particularly disdainful of this approach and says it is quote typically sketchy and inadequate. So taxpayers should uh, take a close look at the type of study being performed by their practitioner and be and, and, and be aware of the risks if audited. The audit guideline points out some other areas to watch for, uh, for including evaluating the amount of a purchase price of a building that is allocated to land to ensure that the amount is reasonable. The IRS instructs that the land should be valued on its quote, highest and best use, but practically and technically, taxpayers should also consider approaches that are justifiable and that can, you know, can be documented. Many cost seg providers use standardized land values for every and all properties across the country. Uh, but really from our experience, we recognize that land values are highly dependent on location. So, so land values in Miami, Washington DC or Austin, Texas are greatly inflated from those in smaller, less urban areas. Some other areas of concern pointed out in the, the ATG guide include you know, whether demolition costs of an older structure should be capitalized into land, which is not appreciable, or into the building for, for new construction projects, and whether the indirect costs spent on buildings during construction, for example, repairs and maintenance or indirect labor costs, should be capitalized under the uniform capitalization rules. 
Uh, so uh, in summary, you know, the ATG is largely focused on recent tax law changes that we have discussed, but does offer a number of areas taxpayers utilizing cost segregation services uh, should also be aware of. Yeah, so Sean, uh, really good overview from uh, ATG on the on cost segregation, which was released June 1st. Um, let me make a couple additional comments. Um, it is interesting to point out, uh, and we will have two subsequent podcasts that will talk more about the details of the audit technique guidelines for both cost segregation and, and 179 cap D. But dealing with the cost segregation ATG, it's interesting that there was a specific guidance pointed out around what is on the energy side of a cost segregation study and what they refer to as a new chapter eight called electrical distribution system. So if you compare the last version uh, with the new version, there's clearly a push from the IRS perspective about educating uh, not only practitioners from the standpoint of their audit technique guideline, um, but also those that are ultimately constructing or basically retrofitting the building as to come to some of the newer construction uh, processes. As Sean correctly highlighted, due to a lot of tax law changes, um, the ATG and COSEG speaks just not only to the cost segregation methodologies, the engineering approach, which is the preferred approach, but talks to us a lot about changes in accounting methods because 3115s are used if you're uh, catching up the depreciation in a, you know, a building that may have been placed in service, let's say, five years ago. Uh, detail analysis of bonus depreciation, which we talked about under 168K. And then it also talks about Section 179 expensing. And then 179 Cap D as well, Section 263A, the uniform capitalization provisions, 263 little way around the tangible property regs. So in, in the very voluminous audit technique guideline. It's clear that, that this is an area that, you know, the IRS wants to ensure that, uh, for us, example, us, where we provide a cost seg plus, um, as well as an audit ready deliverable um, to withstand any scrutiny. We are proud to tell you that when we reread uh, the June 1st, um, that our studies were already fully compliant and actually we do a lot more uh, than what was outlined in the ATG. Um, again, we'll be having some additional podcasts, but one area, as Marty mentioned, in a hot topic um, is we saw in May the Internal Revenue Service issue a uh, revised audit technique guideline into what is referred to as 179 Cap D or the Energy Efficient Commercial Building Deduction, which again is an opportunity um, to accelerate depreciation. Um, for those that attended the summit as a refresher, um, you know that uh, when we talked about the energy provisions and very large focus right now on, on energy or alternative energy and 179 Cap D came underneath the Energy Policy Act of 2005. So it's been out there quite uh, some time, but what it stands for and it's permanent in the law is to incent uh, a uh, uh, architect, uh, as well as an engineer, um, or really any designer to design a building uh, more energy efficient. And so two key areas, broad keys that I'd, I'd point out, um, and we'll get deeper into it in, in subsequent podcasts, is the 
there is now an inflation adjustment, which we all are very sensitive to uh, the inflation. So now there's an inflation adjustment um, that can be taken into account in 179 Cap D and the energy efficient uh, construction, um, as well as that there is uh, confusion or has been confusion around, well, what is the ASHRAE standard? Um, and what are the most recent changes? So um, that is actually the standard uh, which the energy efficiency deduction is measured against or modeled against. Um, and there are very specific treasury requirements. Um, and candidly, you know, it, it really hasn't changed a lot from 90.1 uh, 2000, uh, really in seven, which is what was in the Energy Policy Act, um, or really 90.1 2001, uh, but now we're using uh, basically uh, 90.7. So that was kind of an increase in their their scrutiny because I think they found in examinations, uh, and then they also highlighted an area that um, we have seen uh, in other providers is that the uh, actual documentation of the 179 cap D deduction, specifically if you're dealing with a governmental entity has not been um, com correctly completed pursuant to the regulations, which would, would cause some disallowance. So stay tuned for those additional podcasts um, in regards to the audit technique guideline and, and 179 cap D. But, um, you know, from our perspective, we welcome those audit technique guidelines because very similar to our cost seg review, when we reviewed the, the, the new 179 Cap D uh, standards and the audit technique guideline, and there's actually 14 chapters, uh, I would tell you that our deliverables, again, are audit-ready deliverable, um, but we actually deliver a higher threshold than what the audit technique guideline uh, outlines, not only in cost ag, but also in 179 Cap D. So, Marty, I'll turn it back over to you to, to wrap us up. Yeah, thank you so much, Ron, and Sean as well. This was this was excellent today, so I really appreciate your time. Um, I think it's been a good discussion for for all our listeners and for anyone listening. If you want more info on this topic or these topics, um, please uh, feel free to go to our website at cbh.com. Additionally, uh, please like, share, and subscribe to the Tax Credits and Incentives podcast. And thanks again for listening. Much appreciated.